Three years ago today, on August 24th, 2015, network marketing company Vima Nutrition was shut down by the Federal Trade Commission as an alleged pyramid scheme. Today, on episode 8, we sit down with Vima's CEO and founder, BK Bareko, to finally hear the full story of what the heck happened. You are listening to Len Jones, Party of Two, where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at TrueFace.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. If you were to meet BK while standing in line waiting for an ice cream, what you would find is a jolly, happy, and very goofy dad of six kids that has a whole bag of stories, laughs, and lessons that he can't wait to share. What you would not expect is that three years ago today, BK's company, Vima Nutrition, was taken control of by the FTC as an alleged pyramid scheme. The story was churned into a media frenzy and was picked up by 8,900 media outlets around the world and even at one point became the number one trending topic on both Facebook and Twitter. Now, if that alone doesn't interest you enough to keep listening, I'll add some background context to shed some light on just how big of a deal this actually was. Vima is what is known as today as a multi-level marketing company, or MLM in short. If you ever heard of companies such as Amway, Avon, Herbalife, ACN, Mary Kay, Advocare, Legal Shield, Melaleuca, Juice Plus, Isogenics, Utera, Tupperware, New Skin, I'm America, World Ventures, Ambit Energy, Beachbody, It Work, Market America, Ethereum, Unique, Arbonne, then you have discovered network marketing in one way, shape, or form, a 180-plus billion-dollar industry in growing. The DSA, or Direct Selling Association, defines MLM on their website in the following. Direct selling is a business model that offers entrepreneurial opportunities to individuals as independent contractors to market and or sell products and services, typically outside of a fixed retail establishment, through one-to-one selling, in-home product demonstrations, or online, where compensation is ultimately based on sales and may be earned based on personal sales and or the sales of others in their sales organizations. The industry is gigantic and has sustained an overall bad rep amongst to general population, largely because of its history of over-promising and under-delivering. And of course, that there are, in fact, bad apples. And the big question of this podcast is, was Vima one of them? So in the weeks following the shutdown, while majority of the world was busy turning the word Vima into a SEO wasteland, the MLM industry was shook because the FTC's decision to enforce this level of TRO action could potentially have serious negative ripple effects in a largely loosely regulated industry. Now, Why is this important to me? Well, besides the fact that this is a phenomenal case study for anyone in business, I myself was introduced to MLM a little over six years ago at 20 years old. And yes, I was very enticed by the fact that you could build a side hustle in your free time that didn't matter if you were from Yale or jail, the color of your skin, your gender, your education level, nothing. It just mattered how much you were willing to work and that you had a general desire for change. I was enticed that you could start a business under $1,000 and begin earning instantly when, generally speaking, many traditional businesses cost hundreds of thousands of dollars where majority don't see profit for three to five years. I was enticed that I was my own boss and could work when I wanted to, from where I wanted to, on my own time. And plot-twistingly enough, I was enticed about supporting a healthy energy drink that I was introduced to in college that I honestly found delicious. Verve Bold is phenomenal. Believe it was a healthier alternative to other brands like Red Bull and Monster. And yes, I was one of the 300,000 affiliates that got involved in Vima. And for me personally, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Now, clearly other people involved had a different experience, but 
I'm just keeping it real about mine. I really liked how the program served as an inexpensive introduction to entrepreneurship and an independent lifestyle. My confidence went through the roof with new communication skills, public speaking skills, and sounds cheesy, but just an overall level of belief in myself I never knew I had. I made so many entrepreneurial-minded friends from all over the world that are some of my closest friends today, and even though many ended up quitting MLM, I find it common to hear many people having gained a positive experience in BIMA. Many that went on to start their own businesses, work for startups, get into real estate, financial planning, you name it. Now, why am I providing this background? Because, well, I guess the best way to describe it was I was distraught when BIMA was shut down. It was like a blindsided punch to the dome. Just so much work literally flushed down the drain. I was pissed, confused, and just in a glass case of WTF. And well, taking into account lessons learned, I personally quickly recovered and found a phenomenal new company. I wanted to learn what actually happened to Vima. Was it ruled as an actual pyramid scheme? If so, what can we learn from it? What did they do that was so wrong compared to all these other thriving companies? Did they go bankrupt? So many unanswered questions. So around a month ago, I reached out to my longtime friend, BK Bareko, and pitched him on the idea of coming on the show to see if he would share the true story, the real real of what the heck happened. So I drove out to Arizona from my home in LA and joined BK in his house where he laid it all on the table. Now, before we start, I must say, if you enjoy this podcast and want to support future conversations like these, please leave a positive review. It means a lot. So without further ado, let's jump into it. So we are out here in the home of Casa de BK. Welcome. Welcome to my home. BK, thanks for the thanks for the welcome. Thanks for showing me around. Thanks for the beautiful uh, appetizers and just the overall good environment you got going on over <laughs> the here. Appetizer, like you mean like a body burn? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's, laughs> and it's nice to see Chris too. Yeah, it's, it's great to have the whole team here. So anyone that's familiar with Vima or is familiar with the direct sales industry knows that the past three years has been a wild, wild west for you. I mean, talk about a man that built a company that you put every single thing you had into you and... From, I think I believe 12 years you had everything running and in a matter of two days since the shutdown I believe all of that went why very you, very why you trying to bring me down here on on my anniversary of the shutdown August 24th 2015 um yeah I mean we were we were um we were thought we were doing everything right uh, obviously you know some government officials had other thoughts but uh, uh everything happens for a reason it takes a lot of of effort to find good uh, out of any situation but that's the way my parents raised me was they're always like hey there's always something good you can pull out of it and and through these last three brutal years I have become a better person I've become a better entrepreneur I've become stronger in my mindset and in my mental toughness I've become a better dad I've become a better person actually and um, you know my dad used to say owners are uh, company owners are kind of like tea bags you know you don't know what's in them until they get put into hot water and i understand i'm not playing the victim card by any means and and i don't even like to even talk about the past but since you came out here i'm gonna bring it up and it's our 30 year anniversary so it's sort of fitting and it's interesting because from my perspective it seems like you're in a pretty good place right now i'm i'm you know what i'm happy and i think that's you know challenges happen to people all the time and the challenges is not what defines you. It's not what 
it's not what forms your character. It's your response to these challenges. And so I know there's people that have had tougher things happen to them than, than I've had. I've had. I know there's people that haven't had as tough of things happen to them as I have. But my, you know, I, I made a decision back three years ago. And my decision was that I can either rise up or I can shrink down. I can either praise God or I can curse God. I could, you know, lose 25 pounds or I could gain 25 pounds. I mean, my dad used to tell me, you are in life because of the decisions that you made. Life is just a bunch of decisions, some big, some little, but where you end up is based on those decisions. And and when people have challenges, I I think it's important for them to understand that their past doesn't necessarily determine their future. They get to determine their future based on the decisions that they make right now. And and that's what example, you know, if you follow me on on social or on Instagram, I tried to this this past 3 years I've tried to inspire people on my Instagram account. I've tried to encourage them um and and some of the people, some of my followers know what I was going through. Most don't. Most don't really have a clue what happened. And uh in fact, I I'm writing this book, and it's almost done. I was, I was waiting for the happily ever after ending, but I think I'm there. And what's the book called? It's worth the fight, and it's it's a it's a it's a book that I don't want it to just be about this FTC shutdown. I want it to be about business. I want it to be about mental toughness. I want it to be you know some of my parents wisdom in life and family. And so it does tell the story and it goes into a lot of the details, which I know we don't have time to go into here, but I I think people will be shocked at what happened and uh, the journey over, you know, the 17 month lawsuit and uh, the chances that I had um, was, was, it was like against all odds. I mean, you know, my attorney told me after the fact you know, on, uh, in fact, just this past week, we had one of our vendors that supplied us like promotional swag and stuff. And he came to meet us at the office in Scottsdale. And he goes, I was there August 24th. I had an appointment with your COO, Brad Wayman, at, uh, at uh, 830 or 930. And I said, I never showed up because they called me. I was driving into the work and they called me and they said, don't come to the office. And I said, all right. And so I said, tell me what it was like from this, I got this third party, you know, perspective. What was it like? And he said, he goes, I swear to you, there was 30 Tempe police cars. They had your building completely surrounded. Um, And it sounds, I'm listening to what I'm saying and I go, this sounds so fake, you know. But he said that uh, there was 15 black SUVs, which were the federal, the Fed guys, um, uh, FTC gentlemen and ladies, um, that, uh, uh, were in the building and they had, and he walked up and he goes, I have an appointment at, with Brad Wayman. He goes, you don't have an appointment with Brad Wayman. He goes, no, I do. I have an appointment with Brad Wayman. And he like, ja- you know, jockeys himself a little bit. And he, the guy goes, I could see the gun under his coat. They were all in black suits. August 24th, black suits. These dudes are strapped. But it's hot in Phoenix. <laughs> if you, you, don't, you don't want to be wearing black suits in Phoenix. Um, and so... I had no idea that even happened until last week. I mean, here it is three years later. I did not, I, I sort of visualized, you know, there's probably a few people who walk in, they go, can we see, you know, somebody in charge? But it was like a full-on drug bust. It was like we were 
bad people that you know they had the place surrounded in case somebody made a run for it and we're just all the employees are just kind of looking at themselves and they had they had shuttled the employees and we had probably working at the time maybe 160 180 employees and and here's the thing about our employees we had great employees i mean when you're in business any you know 5 10 years you go through and you kind of discover the best of the best employees. And the ones that are there are there because they are just so great at what they do. And our average employee, excluding executive salaries, they were earning $47,000 a year. And there was husband and wife teams there. So there was families that were making hundred grand a year. And they got shuttled into a room and, and within two and a half hours were fired. They were sent home and, and uh, never returned back. And here is the challenge that that does is it, it basically, they, they've had the secret meeting. And you know, you're, you're listening to, I'm a Fox News watcher. I know my sister hates that. She comes to my house and she will put like MSNBC or CNN on my TV and then leave. Because she knows I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I'm watching, you know, if you watch the news now, you see this, you know, this this way of doing business, way of a government running in the past um, in in President Obama's era, and you think, oh, okay, it can't be that bad. But what I experienced is this: the Federal Trade Commission went in what's called an ex parte, meaning it's a secret meeting. So here on Friday, um, before the Monday shutdown on August twenty fourth. Um, they had a meeting with uh, with a judge, and they told him some things about Vima uh, that simply turned out not to be true. It was their version of the truth. It was what they thought was happening. But I think the saddest part of this whole disaster, because when you go from a company that goes to for doing $200 million a year in sales, we paid out bonuses of $90 million to people just like you guys. And, and that income immediately evaporates from families, household budgets, after they work so hard to be able to, to create it. Um, th- that's a shame. They should have asked some questions. We never got, in our history, 10, 11-year history at the time, um, we never got a phone call from the FTC. We never got a letter from the FTC. I didn't get a text message. They never asked us one question about how we do business at Vima. They never told us they had any challenge. They never told us they had any complaints. They had about 100 complaints. Um, 50 of them were what they call inactionable complaints, meaning you, it's like they would call up and go, uh, they think that we think they're a pyramid and you can't, there's like, it's not like I didn't get my money back or, you know, there was no action you could take. No, uh, give them a refund or whatever. At the time of this, our better business bureau rating was a plus. And in our industry to have an a plus rating, you have to treat people right. And, you know, I, I, always thought 100% of our people are customers. We had 100% money back guarantee on a, and you guys know this, for a full year on our product. And so they told the judge that there was hundreds of thousands of victims. This is a cold-blooded pyramid aimed at college students. Um, they, everybody buys a $500 builder pack and everybody gets on auto ship. And so the judge thinks, oh my gosh, this is, here's this company that is doing this terrible thing out there and in 48 countries around the world. Um, so he signs the order, and a TRO means you are out of business. They lock me out of my office. They can fire all the employees. They put a receiver in place to be able to maintain the business. Um, which, so it's complete. You lose all control. All control. And, and so 
uh, all my all my assets were frozen. You know, here's a guy that you know I I worked, and you think about the air miles that I traveled. You think about the meetings I went to. You think about the people I talked to. You think about the years of effort that goes into building a company that's doing two hundred million dollars a year, and all of that is evaporated because the FTC doesn't ask us any questions, but they go to the judge. They had been running what's called a 14-month undercover investigation prior to this. And this is what they they believed was accurate. And the judge even asked, are you sure? Because we've got the transcript of the, of the ex parte hearing. And they said yes. And so I, I don't fault the judge at all because he was just going off of what... Just doing what he thought was right? Yeah. And so they shut us down. And uh, we have a hearing on September 18th. So this is August 24th. They shut us down, and they don't, they don't ship out a product. They don't send out a just cold turkey. Just freaking like you turn the light switch off. And here's what's amazing is is our international market. So we were in like 47, 48 countries. Um, the our interest was owned by Vima Holdings, which was a U.S. Cus- a company, and they named Vima Holdings in the TRO. So they shut us down around the world, which was shocking because I mean we did we did seventy million dollars in Europe um, that last full year, and they're like, why do we have to listen to what the American regulators say? The reason is because I never thought I was doing anything wrong. I mean, I've been doing what I've been doing for twenty something years, and I never. Thought I was breaking the law. My neighbor, my neighbor goes, "Didn't you bury gold? Because they froze all my assets, froze all my real estate. They fr- I couldn't get twenty dollars out of a out of an ATM. I went to the bank to put my ATM card in there, and it says, "Please come inside." I didn't even know it displayed that message, but it said, "Please come inside." And so, and and so they, I go in and I talk to the the banker, and he says, "Yeah, your all your assets have been frozen. I couldn't even get gas money. I mean, all the credit cards shut off." All the assets frozen, all the real estate, everything. So here I am, Mr. Big Shot CEO, and I I can't get twenty bucks out of my <laughs> out of my ATM. Um, and, and so they they shut us down. Um, one of the challenges that they did to us was, you know, social media is great. You know, you guys love social media. I love social media, but there's another side to social media that is so vicious that when you see when you see uh, somebody going down and they didn't enjoy you going up, they just want to jump on. And I mean, I was having like a block party every day. I was like, oh, you're blocked and you're blocked. <laughs> um, it, was, it was brutal, the things they said on that. But then the, the FTC puts out a press release. 8,900 media outlets around the world picked up this press release. 8,900 that's ridiculous. It's, no, it was the, you know, 8,900. We were the number one trending topic on Facebook. All right, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, which is, which is, we beat out, and this is in, in, in 2015, you know, Justin Bieber was a, was a big deal. And not to say he's not a big deal now. I don't know if he's listening or not. <laughs> Fellow Canadian. But if you look at this picture, we were the number one trending top. We beat Justin Bieber in trending topics. Um, on Facebook and on Twitter, um, when you take a look at when you take a look at the the news media in just Arizona, because I thought I would be getting some slack from them because I'm their homie. You know, I grew up. I've been here since the fourth grade. I created 200 jobs at the manufacturing plant, and and the manufacturing plant instantly lost a third of its business with our shutdown. The ripple effect, and you'll read about it in in the book. The ripple effect is it was absolutely huge on how many vendors how many small businesses that that were in place to be able to support our growth um, 
uh, were damaged and had to go out of business because of this this action. And so the Arizona Republic, the, my newspaper, what does the headline say on there? It says 221 million pyramid. Yeah. In big, old, bold, red letters. Not, not just a cover story, but how much of the front page does it cover? The, it's probably about 78%. They like the, I don't think they gave that kind of coverage, maybe back when a man landed on the moon, but the whole front cover of the newspaper. And I was on the news locally here all the time. I was, we were on the Today Show. We were in Wall Street Journal. We were in the New York Times, New York Post. I mean, we were everywhere. When you think of 8,900 media outlets around the world picking this story up, we were big you know, news in, in all of the markets that we were in. Um, and um, it was just, it was just a, I'm, I am not used to being criticized or accused of anything bad. I mean, everybody always accuses me of being too nice. They're like, do you, do you like too nice? Um, and that's what I'm used to. That's the way I was raised. That's why my parents. And then to have that completely flip in a day and just this negative tsunami of social media and traditional media um, and freaking Google, who has got the longest memory ever. Um, it was, it was. And so then we have 300,000 active, you know, customers and, and affiliates. The, the receiver sends out the, the court case, the lawsuit to every one of those people. So you can imagine all the work that it was to be able to generate these customers and affiliates. And then they get an email and it says the United States of America versus Benson K. Brayco and Bima. For that was an absolute business nuke. Alleged pyramid, alleged pyramid. But people read alleged pyramid uh, activities and they think guilty. It's coming from the government. Um, and then you know, we, we were, I, I believe we had about 50,000 unique visitors a day to our website at the time. And it was the logo of the FTC saying this is, this company has been seized by the FTC. The phone, when you call in, the phone was, was answered by a recording that said this company has been seized by the FTC. It, brutal. I mean, before Vima, the FTC had 47 companies that had taken this kind of an action against, and it was, they were 47 and 0. They had never, a company had never stayed in business through this kind of activity because they hit you in so many different angles. And then, and then you know, the IRS comes in and, and does an audit of us and for, I forget how many years, and they said, hey, you've, you owe $5 million because the trips that you sent your people on, they... That you didn't 1099 them for that. And I'm like, oh, terrific. So if I make it through this, <laughs> I'm gonna have this this IRS thing. And it, and it was, it was uh it was just a really a tough experience. The greatest thing that I thought of, you know, you always gotta think of the positives, was our product was never challenged. The the FDA never came in and said, Your product sucks, you know, you're you know, we 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 had it at simultaneously because of all this press. We had somebody file a class action lawsuit against us back in New Jersey. One guy that was just kind of going after a money grab. And I'm like, dude, the money that's gone. <laughs> so I don't know how it, but nobody ever challenged the product or the clinicals or the, the efficaciousness or, or the good that we did. And so that is, that is the shutdown on August 24th. And the most frustrating part of it is I can't say anything to anybody um, until the hearing, I'm thinking September 18th is our hearing. Um, 
So what's that? Three weeks so, after? So everything goes down. You're getting put on blast throughout the entire world. People are saying all these things about you and you can't say a word. Not a word. You just have to take it. Just take it, man. Smile and wave. <laughs> and it is, uh, and it is, uh, it was tough because I'm not used to having people say bad stuff about me. And I don't know why, you know, God had me go through this, but it was a very humbling, it was a very humbling experience. And maybe that's why, maybe I got too, you know, cocky or whatever it was, but it, it was, it was, uh, it was a time of my life where I would be talking to you back then and I would start bawling like and I don't mean like crying like <laughs> no it was like you know when my parents died that kind of grief um it was it was like for th- two weeks three weeks I mean I I was I talk about having your confidence shot talk about having your you know your 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 whole life run over by a truck um and that's what I was going through. And it was just this, uh, it was just this period of time where I got to a place where I just said, Hey, I got to turn this over to God. This is way bigger than anything I can handle mentally, physically. Um, you know, uh, a couple times it got so dark that I thought to myself, Hey, I got $12 million life insurance policy. I got trust for the kids. I mean, I could, I could, I could find the easy way out. And, you know, it, those everybody has these voices that go on in your head and it's important that you listen to the right ones because even I have the voices and sometimes you think they make sense and then the other times you go wait a minute man that is not I mean you know we what kind of an example are you setting for your your friends your family I mean could you know it would it would this is not what my destiny is about. I'm not, my legacy is not to take myself out and, you know, let the government win. So, so, you, so you reach rock bottom. Oh, it was, I don't know what's below rock bottom. Dude, what, I'm what trying to, I'm trying to find the words to be able to tell you how dark a time it was in my life. It was like such a dark time. And, and my kids at school, their, you know, their friends would be like, why is your dad, you know, a bad guy? And, you know, I'd come, I'm trying to explain, my, your dad's really nice. I know. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just like every angle. It was coming at me every angle. It was like, a, it was like an attack, like I had never been attacked. And I had been through some, some tough stuff in the past, but nothing to this level. And so, you know, when, when you're, you, I, I, read, I read on somebody's Insta story, oh, Carl Michael from Europe. He said, when you're down to the bottom, God is up to something or something like that. And, it never, and it's true because everything does happen for a reason. And you go through this experience. And, and I think the biggest thing was I'm a talker, as you can tell, because you've said like four things. And I couldn't talk. I couldn't say anything. And so the trial is co- the trial. The hearing's coming. Okay. And at this hearing... My, three weeks. This post? was three weeks. Yeah, September eighteenth. So September eighteenth, and this is the day because I was talking to the staff at home office this last week, and I said, "Hey guys, you know we're coming up, and it's twenty August twenty fourth. Like we don't celebrate that day. We celebrate a, a, a September eighteenth because our attorneys told us we had a three percent chance of getting our company back. He goes, it just does not happen. You don't get your company back when the government shuts you down like this. And so they didn't tell me that before the hearing." 
So the hearing goes on. And then the judge waits like a week to give us the results. And they, oh, so they do two days of witness prep for me. And they're like, hey, you gotta, you're going to get called. up. The, you know, the, the FTC is going to call you, so you got to be ready. So I'm going through, you know, and it's like when, you, when you're just going to tell the truth, um, you don't really have to prepare that much. I mean, I wasn't like stressed. I was actually excited because I could finally talk. I could finally talk. And um, they didn't call me. The, the hearing ended. And I looked at my attorney. I go, dude, I thought I was getting to talk. <laughs> where's, the, where's the mic? They didn't let you speak. <laughs> they did. So my attorney went and asked them. They said they, he was deemed too friendly of a witness. But here's one of the things that was interesting that happened. <laughs> wait, wait. They were deemed- I know. And I thought the judge would like me too much. Because the judge didn't know me. The judge just looked at me like I'm a bad guy because of what he's been told. And so they, here's the interesting thing. Is the lead investigator that did the 14-month undercover investigation. He, uh, he was asked by our attorney, of, in your 14 months, because they told the judge, how many victims did they say there was? I believe there was. Hundreds of thousands? Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, that's what the judge was heard. Okay. So they asked the, 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 you know, he's the lead investigator. How many victims did you discover in your 14-month undercover investigation? You know what the answer was? I have a feeling it was zero. It was zero. They could not find. You know why it's zero? It's because we give everybody their money back. It's because we have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. If we have a problem, we're going to fix the problem. You know, I, I've always got, you know, in, in the era of social media, you know, it used to be in the old days when one person's mad, they'll tell seven people. And, and now it's, they're going to tell 70,000 people, you know. So you, you never want to have somebody have a bad experience. No, don't want to lose money. Don't want to, you know. So the, it, the courtroom, and if you can visualize this, the courtroom is packed. There is reporters there. There are affiliates there. There are family. There. I mean, it is. There's like it's standing room only. It was packed, and it was almost like a gasp when the guy said zero, and and it was like, but you told the judge this. And here's the other thing. Okay, so they told the judge everybody buys a builder pack, right? At at our highest point, at our highest point, fourteen percent of the people that signed up into Vima bought a builder pack at, at the time. That was the peak, but you know, at probably a year before the shutdown, it was maybe seven percent. So it's a very small percentage of people buy the five hundred dollar biller pack. But the judge was told everybody buys a five hundred dollar biller pack, and then everybody signs up on auto ship, which I wished happened, but it doesn't. I mean, we had I think it was forty fifty percent of the people on auto ship, and they got a discount if they signed up on auto ship. So it was like an incentivized thing. Um, but the biggest thing that they said is your customers. You don't have enough customers. <clears throat> on September eighteenth, we have this hearing. The judge says, but he doesn't say it for a week later. It's not like, you know, you think on TV where they, boom, they lower the gavel and he's like, he's innocent. <laughs> That's what I was thinking in my mind. It's not like that at all. It's very quiet and surreal. Um, and and it, it's so it's funny is the case before us, the guy is, that. so we're, our case is next, the case before us, the guy's in like an orange jumpsuit with chains on his ankles, chains, you know, his the arms chained to his hips. And I think to myself, eh, it could be worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm not there because it was all civil. It was not criminal. And here's the thing my attorney said. My attorney goes, hey, this is all civil. So it's only about stuff and money. If you lie to the feds, it becomes criminal. And that's when you get to do the orange jumpsuit. And I'm like, all right, hey, man, I am not lying to nobody about nothing. And I haven't, I, I wasn't raised that way. I never did, never have. So if you fast forward to the week after September 18th, we got a... A, the judge says, give him back his company. And I'm like, 
Praise God. That's good. And, and under certain conditions, you know, you have to have 50% customers. I treat everybody like a customer. So I'm like, okay, whatever, 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 whatever conditions, I'm, let's go. So I like, we'll get, we hire five or six people back because that's all we could afford because we have no money, right? They still have all the assets seized. They, the judge ordered to, to the receiver to give us back our operating capital, which they had seized. And we actually, they, 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 they didn't give it back to us. They, we had to sue them to give us back our operating capital that they, the receiver took when they took over control of the company because they weren't planning on us ever getting their company back, getting the company back. I mean, nobody, it's never, it's never happened. It's never happened. They were 47 and one now. They were 47 and oh, now they're 47 and one because we were the first company that actually were able to pull this thing off. And what is, what is amazing is I come in with this attitude, we're going to, come on, we got, we got like $4 million, $5 million of auto ship orders ready to ship out, you know, because these people waiting, it's only been three, four weeks, they're going to still want their product. They're going to probably be out of product now. And so I'm like, all right, team, let's go. Come on, let's get fired out. We've got product in the warehouse. we got this food. And they come to me and they go, here's, here's the challenge. And I go, what's the challenge? And they said, well, the receiver, when he took over the company, he continued to run auto ships, but he did not ship out any product because he wanted to keep all the assets of the company. But he continued to let our systems run auto ships. So people are getting their credit card charged. Oh, man. No product received. A week goes by, two weeks goes by, three weeks goes by. They call in to say, hey, where's my product, Vima? Because they don't know what's going on. Or they may know what's going on. And there's no employees to answer the phone because they all got fired. And they get a recording saying this company's been seized by the FTC. And so what do they do? They charge back their credit card charge that we char- that the receiver charged them. So there is something in the world of merchant accounts and, and MasterCard Visa that's called a blacklist. It's called a, it is called a, uh, uh, when, you're, when your chargebacks go higher than a certain percentage, they put you on this, this merchant account. It's what they call a match list, but it's called a blacklist. And that means you cannot have a merchant account. So I'm like, come on, team, let's go. And they go, we don't have a merchant account to be able to place, fill all these orders. And I'm like, okay, how high? Okay, I've, I've, here I am 20, 22 years in business, 22 years in business, and I've done $2.5 billion in sales. How hard can it be for me to get a merchant account? I've never had a problem before. This is the first time, and it wasn't even my fault. It was the receiver's fault for you know, getting on the match list. They don't care about that. You, it's like a bad tattoo at spring break, dude. <laughs> I mean, it, you, that thing sticks with you. And so I had to start out filling out forms, and I applied to 34 banks to get a merchant account and was denied 34 times. And I'm like, what do we do? Everybody, so we went 1999, man. We, we came in and we said, you um, can call the fo- number. We're going to take your order over the phone. We're going to enter it in manually. We're going to send you a bill. And it's like the honor system. Because I told them, I, I told my staff, I go, we have got this product sitting here. It doesn't do us any good. Ship it to the customer. Give them a bill. They'll mail us back a check. It's the only way we could do business. We did, we did like a million dollars in three weeks. Just wow. like that. Just people wanting the product. And I don't know if they were buying a lot because they thought we we're going to go out of business <laughs> or what the deal was. But it was amazing that people would, would just do that and wait and the wait on the phone lines because we had five operators it was like up to two hours 
people would be waiting to place an order for Vima products. And so we, we made it through this by the grace of God. We made it through it because we have got great products, got, you know, customers. We're, we're probably 99% customers right now. Um, but people love the products. You know, you're sucking one down right now. It's just, we make good products. We did good things for people out there. Um, and, uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a tough experience. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still three years later cleaning up the mess. One of the things I decided not to do was go bankrupt. You know, I, I, in 70, 73, I think my parents went bankrupt and I remember that experience. I remember my dad crying. Do you remember how old you were when that went down? So I don't even know if it was 73, but it was like a while ago. Yeah, long. (laughs) And I was a kid. And I remember my dad said, you know, I had a dirt bike, uh, a Honda 50. And my dad said, hey, why don't you go put that at your friend's house? And I go, I had no idea what was going on. And I'm like, why? Just go put it at your, just keep it at your, let your friend ride it for a couple days. Because he knew the the repossessor guys were coming. And they took my brother's aquarium. They put his fish in a bag and they took the aquarium. Who does that kind of stuff? But I remember that as a kid. So I said, I'm not going bankrupt professionally, you know, personally or, or corporately. And so I, I had to pay off uh, probably $7 million in debt, you know. Um, I had people, you know, that owed me millions of dollars for licensees and stuff that never paid me, um, you know, just had to write that up. It was just a – but I'm almost done. About two more months and I'll be – all my bills will be paid off. I'll be, you know, back to – Back to even. So when you said rock bottom, I wish it was just bottom. I wish it was just zero because that would be cool. But I went like freaking flying past zero and and you went from two hundred to negative seven. <laughs> no, just in debt. Yeah, two hundred, and that leaves a what dent. A I mean, you know, the, what a week. The uh, and you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, this is what I was just struggling with. And, and I, you know, my, my family, my, my girlfriend, my kids, I mean, it was like at the time I was a mess. I was just a mess. Broken. My confidence was gone. I was broken. I was just, I was smashed into a million pieces and I had to, I had to just pick it, pick up the pieces and start putting it back together again. And some of the glue takes a long time to set, man. And it was just... You know, it was just really, really a, uh, uh, one of those life-changing experiences. And I, and I wish that we didn't have to go through it, but since I had to go through it, I got to get better from it. I can't let it break me. I can't let, you know, I'm, I'm, one, of those, I'm one of those Christians that, that is, is uh, you know, believe that, God allows things to happen. I, you know, they, when I was writing my book, people go, hey, you should call it the second book of Job. You know, when you hear Job's story and Job lost his kids and he lost everything. And I'm like, well, I didn't have it as bad as Job. You know, so God knows, you know, God will only give you as much as you can handle or allow to happen to you as much as you can handle. But boy, he sure stretched me on that, that whole experience. So just to bring it back, um, the creation of BK Bareko, long before you started Vima, long before all this went down. When you were a kid, were you always just in that entrepreneurial mindset? Were you like, do you remember your first business that you ever started, whether it was flipping candy or if it was just, I don't know if it was direct sales was your first experience? I had parents that got involved in Amway when I was nine years old. And God bless Amway because it, it, they didn't make that much money at it, but it, 
it the lessons. I mean, you think about people going to school, and we were talking about this before. The 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 lessons and the knowledge and the and the entrepreneurial spirit that was developed in so many young people, you know, because of the whole Verve experience is you can't even put a price on that. You know, because that, and you hear these stories about, hey, I got my start here with Verve, and now I'm doing this, and I got my start here with, you know, Vima, and now I'm doing this, and and so when I was a young kid, um, I was, you know, I was in the entrepreneur class, I forget what they called it, um, at school. Um, I had my first job at 14. I was bagging groceries, and I was so weird that I would come home after work, and I would take my mom's groceries out of the pantry, and I would practice bagging so I could get faster and better at it. And, uh, and then I've been working since I was 14 years old. And, and as from, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, my dad would send me out with a tote tray, which is this little plastic tray with all these Amway sample products on it. And I would go door to door in our neighborhood and deliver products and have people try the products, little puppy dog sell, you know? And so we put these little tote trays out. And I remember one of my neighbors like said, get out of here, kid, or yelled at me about something. And I came back kind of a little broken at the time. Uh, and I told my dad, he's like, why are you crying? And I said, well, this guy like yelled at me and told me to get out of here. And uh, I just wanted him to try my product. It wasn't, I, in the whole concept, wasn't you sell something, you drop it off, say you want to try this for a week, and then I'll get your thoughts afterwards. You know, So it was like a puppy dog sell. And this guy was really tough. And my dad went over there. And he freaking cussed that guy out. He's like, you get this, this is a, you know, you're un-American. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that was my indoctrination. I mean, I was, my, my first book I ever read as a kid was The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. You know, my dad used to give us 10 bucks to read a book. Did and, you personally have success with Amway? No, I failed. I got out of high school. You know, my dad, my, you know, I worked in my dad's Amway store during my, you know, like it's like summer school was free enterprise 101 summer school class. And, and so I would just go to the Amway conventions and I would, and work in his store. And then when I was 18, I graduated because my dad said Amway's the way, the truth and the light. And I said, all right, I'll do it. And, uh, and I, three years I tried, failed, I was making 800 bucks a month. And I just failed miserably, but I learned a lot. And so then I went into a corporate America, got a job, um, with a fortune 500 advertising company. And that's where I kind of got my branding and, and like real world training and experience. What type of advertising did you saw? Direct mail advertising stuff in the, you guys don't even check mail anymore, but in the old days, <laughs> mail was something popular. Um, and, but I, what I loved about that experience was I did it for like five or six years and, I got to talk with business owners every day. And it's funny that every time I would ask them what the number one form of advertising was, they would say it's word of mouth. And then I go, and second is this direct mail advertising, it's targeted approach. And so the cool thing about networking, you know, I was just reading, I was just looking at a thing by, by Jeff Bezos. You know, he's, I think, the richest guy on the planet or something like that. And he talks about, he, t- he talked about um, in, this, in this post about the things that, um, can you believe I erased it? It was that good I actually erased it. But I think number seven, he talks about the things that you need to do to be successful. And number seven was word of mouth is powerful. The things you need to know to be successful. He gave seven tips. And, and the reason networking works is because of that seventh principle that word of mouth is the best way to cut through the ad clutter, get, best way to get people to experience a, a product or a service or an idea and, uh, and you put, you know, they say facts tell, but stories sell. You put a stories behind a conversation because um, that's what networking is, just a conversation, having conversations with people. And so um, I got back into 
that when my parents sold their Amway business and got involved with a company called Mattel Botanical out of Montreal and sold a product called KM. It's a health tonic. <clears throat> and my little brother was making a boatload of money. And, and I'm like, you know, do you have little brothers? You teach them everything that they know and you keep the good stuff for yourself so they don't get ahead of you. That's the little brother code. So he was kicking my butt because I was working 50, 60 hours a week and he was making more money than me. And so I said, okay, I'll get back into this networking. I did it part-time for six months. And then I went full-time. And I remember the guy I worked with, Drew, he said, you're going to be back begging for your job in six months. And you can read all the positive books, go to the to Anthony Robbins seminars, whatever it is. But man, somebody tells you something like that. And most people would take that and have it be this negative anchor in their life. But for me, it was such a positive anchor because every time somebody stood me up, every time somebody quit, every time you know a meeting didn't go the way it should, I hear Drew's voice. And I'm like, Drew's not going to be right. I'm going to be right. And so... When people tell you things, like the haters are going to hate, you know, you got to use the haters as elevators. You got to take that and use those comments as fuel to say, you know what, I am going to be more determined and I'm going to be more successful because you uh, don't believe I'm going to be able to make it. And so it's just that, beginning back to what I said in the beginning, the decisions you make. Things are going to happen to you in your entrepreneurial journey. Things are going to happen to you in life. The decisions you make is what's going to determine your future. Not what happens to you isn't going to determine your future. Because look at me. I mean, uh, the government was 47 and 0. They, I should be 48. I should be number 48. It's almost Mayweather status. Dude, I'm telling you, man. They, and, they, and they go for the knockout, man. They hit low and often. <laughs> you know, they do, they, they do not follow the traditional boxing rules, man. They hit you from every angle. They hit you when you're not looking. They get you in the media. They get you in social media. They get you in the courtroom. They get you in the merchant business. They get you every way. They get you. They got a. They got a playbook that is brutal. And to their credit, they take down a lot of bad companies. Okay, they they do that for a reason, and that's to protect the consumer. We just weren't one of those companies. And the government is made up of just people, and people making decisions, people making assumptions. Um, they just assumed that we were bad. They just assumed, and I don't know what started the investigation. But it was probably some influential parent or somebody, and their kid comes home from school and does a Gary Vaynerchuk on him, man, and says, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And, and they go, the parents go, oh, you are, huh? What's this thing you're doing? So I don't know what's, that's my guess. But that is probably accurate. Somebody of influence had an experience that they didn't like, and they called up their friends at the FTC and boom, you know, 14 months later, they're giving me the knockout punch. So it was, it was something, but here I am still standing, baby. I hear the Rocky theme in my head going off right now. So <laughs> post Amway, post advertising, is that where new vision came into play? Or is that something that you Boy, you are going back here. I don't know if people even care about this stuff, but I'll give you a two second we're a little got into back into Mattel Botanical. I was distributor. I was making that's where we made our mark. Our family. I'm not making any income claims, and they, but it, we were making a boatload of money. Um, ten, in 1994 was a horrible year for our family. My mother in February got diagnosed with a brain tumor. In in May she went to heaven. Wow. Um, it was just the, the, what I'm blessed about is I was in network marketing and I got to have a check whether I went to work and punched a clock or not. And I spent every day with my mom from when she got 
diagnosed to when she went to heaven. And I couldn't, if I had a real job, I couldn't, I couldn't have done that. And we took her to, we, ha- we hired a doctor, we hired a nurse to, to look after her. I mean, we took her to the mate, we took her to all the best places. And, and so, so my mother dies, and then 10 days before Christmas, okay, so mother dies in May, 10 days before Christmas, 1994, we get a company emergency corporate conference call. The, the owners, the three owners of the company, Sam Robert and Anthony, are taking the company into bankruptcy. And I remember listening to that call, and there's grown men crying, going, I have to take back my kids' Christmas presents. If my check is not coming in, I have to take back Christmas presents. And my dad was 68, and our family was like in this funk. And it was almost like God said, okay, here is your financial wake-up call. And, and we were in this funk that we immediately had to snap out of just because my dad was 68 and he was retired. And he looked at, he looked at my, my sisters and my brother and I and he said, okay, kids, go do something. And so we got together as a family over the holidays and we said, okay, how hard could it be if these three monkeys, I don't want to call them monkeys because that makes monkeys bad. That's, 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 <laughs> these three guys can screw up a deal so bad and, but run a company, how hard could it be? And, and my dad always said, hey, my secret to success is to ram, surround myself with people smarter than I am. And so we got together as a family and said, hey, we are going to develop a line of products. We know what's hot. You know, we had fruit and vegetable juice caps. We had, we had uh, a diet a product called Slim Caps. Um, we had a digestive enzyme product. And our product manufacturer said, hey, you need to sell these colloidal minerals. And I'm like, well, let me taste them. And it tasted horrible. And I said, I cannot. I, KM, when we were distributors, the company went bankrupt. It tasted horrible. And that was the biggest objection. You know, we, and our comeback would be, hey, it tastes like shit, but keeps you fit. I mean, what do you want to know? It's t- <laughs> it works. But I said, I can't go through the rest of my career with a bad tasting liquid health product. So I go, if you make it taste good, we'll sell it. And he goes, I never even thought of that. So we flavored these ionic, these colloidal minerals, still selling ionic minerals today, by the way. So um, we launched in March. Of 1995, and it was a humble. I mean, the labels came out dark. And this was Vima. No, this was New Vision. This was New Vision. And I was like trying to come up with a name for the company because that's a big deal. And I went to church, and the pastor goes, you need a New Vision for the 90s. And I got goosebumps. I went, oh, my gosh, that is like such a great name for a company. And my attorneys go, you better come up with another name because that name's going to probably be taken. And so what I'm telling you folks, and if you get anything out of this talk today, this blog or blog or whatever it's called, Podcast. is that podcast that's <laughs> that is that forever is a long time in business network marketing in relationships you never want to burn a bridge you don't want to leave if if somebody leaves you go out of their way to be extra nice to them you know because they already feel bad leaving you make them feel worse by being nice to you but you never know when they're going to come back you never know or they may not but that doesn't mean you shouldn't always be nice. And so just think of my dad's words, forever is a long time. When anything happens, when, when somebody leaves you in a relationship, when somebody leaves you in business, whatever happens, just say, hey, forever is a long time. Just be nice, be cool, be you know, respectful, because you never know what's going to happen. And I, I could have made a simple decision and told this guy to, you know, great, you quit, you didn't even start, whatever. But I didn't. And... It was. It broke every law of marketing. It was a 92-minute tape, so long, cassette tape. You guys don't even know what cassette tapes are. Um, and he, you mailed it out, and you know, to like subscribers of of health magazines and stuff. 
And that's how it worked. It was like unbelievable. It was like unbelievable. So you never know. That's that's interesting. And a little long story. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to your no, sorry podcast people. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot I would like to go into that specific topic, but I want to jump into Vima because I know so many people that were such devout drinkers of just the the raw Vima formula. Mm-hmm believe it's vitamins, essential minerals, mangosine, and aloe vera. And green tea, but the G was left off for th- its original. <laughs> mangosteen and you, you guys had a relationship. That was a, yeah. that was big. Where did the OG Vima formula come from? How did you... Here's what happened. In, I, was in, I was in New Vision, and we had this segment of the marketplace that was like a one-a-day mentality. They just wanted... You know, we had 70 products in New Vision, and it was just a lot. You know, you look at it, and you go, where do you focus? You know, my dad used to always say, the sun shines all day long, but you tell it, until you take a magnifying glass and you focus it, only then you can start a fire. So we said, let's create a fire with this new sister company called Vima. And what I did is I took uh, Dr. Wong, and I said, I want you to create a product that is like a liquid one-a-day concept just you know you take it and and it's vitamins it's your ionic minerals your plant source minerals um and you take one dose a day two ounces and he's like okay and so in you know he got his he got his md in china in cardiology and in in china they actually make you study traditional chinese medicine the mangosteen fruit is a big part of traditional chinese medicine so that's how that came into play. Um, and then we had some challenges, man. Another challenge, we got sued by a competitor company right after we launched saying that they had a patent on mangosteen. And Dr. Wong is like, mangosteen's been around for thousands of years. I mean, it's been used. And so they take us to court um, because you don't even have to be right to take somebody to court. you know. So they took us to court. And we spent a year and a half, during the first year and a half of the Vima formation of the company. And so when you get started in a new business, you're going to get challenges. You're going to get hit with things. Um, you got to rise up or shrink down, man. And so I spend $1.2 million that I did not have on legal fees to defend my right to sell a mangosteen product. Because they said it, they, their patent was mangosteen with fruits and vegetables. And we have, like you said, Minerals is not vegetables or fruits. Um, uh, green tea is not. Aloe vera, their definition of aloe vera is it's a vegetable. That's how they were suing us. But they were just suing us to get us to stop selling it. They One of their settlement, it was a company called Zango, which is out of business now. But one of their settlement talks with us is, if you stop selling it in two years, we will stop, we'll drop this case. And I'm like, what happens after two years? I mean, I'm not that short-sighted to say, okay, I'll stop selling my lead product in two years just to get rid of you guys. Um, and so we won the case. We got their patent thrown out. They eventually went out of business because of their karma. Um, and, uh, and, but that happened the first year and a half. And so it was a, it was a tough year and a half because we had some of our key leaders go over to Zango and they were saying, why would you ever join Vima? Because Zango is going to own it. It's going to go out of business. We're going to have their product. We're going to have all. And, you know, people, you know, when I say we're in the business of conversations, sometimes, sometimes those conversations are not the greatest conversations. So, um, uh, made it through that and, uh, got started. And then I, I was reading an article on energy drinks. Because I just like in the trades, I because you, you know, had a pretty steady growth over those. Yeah, chugging along, you know, it was nice. it was, it no was, huge, no huge jumps. And then I read this article on on Red Bull, and at the time, the energy drink market was five billion dollars. And um, I uh, thought to myself, this is like the poisoning of America's youth. It's carbonated 
soda pop. I mean, sorry, caffeinated soda pop. And, and there's no like nutritional value. So I go to the doc and I say, hey, could you make a healthy energy drink? Could you take, take two ounces of Vima and put it in a can and make it taste good? We give it a cool name. And he's like, sure, that's easy. You know, more fluid, the easier it is to flavor. And so we, every time we came out a new product, I always had a contest with the employees at home office, say, name the product. And, or na- give the product a name, and I will pay you $100. It's not the $100. It's the fact that you can say to your family, I named this product that is now on the, you know, being sold in 50 countries. So Scott Flat came up with the name Verve. And I heard, when I heard it, I went, oh, that is such a cool, because it's a word. And it means exciting, you know, excitable. And I go, it's just, and it's used a lot in Europe, but not in America that much. But Verve, and, you know, you got a Verve. And, and, I went, that is such a cool name for an energy drink. So we got that, and we brought Mark Patterson on, and he helped with the branding. We were Gary Vaynerchuk's, VaynerMedia's, I think one of his first client, if not his first client, and uh, and had a lot of energy going into this concept of getting health into young people, you know, almost like tricking them, getting them to do something healthy. Like, And for some young people, drinking a verb was the healthiest thing they did all day. So you're working with VaynerMedia on essentially a business strategy to get Verve into the college, yeah, into the was, young people market. You know, Gary, Gary came in the office and in, in, in a great Gary form told me how I sucked. I mean, he was cussing. Oh, you suck so bad. <laughs> I don't even know how you're so successful because you suck. <laughs> Seriously. And now here, okay, so most business owners... Getting hit with that kind of stuff from this kid from New York with this freaking mouth. And, uh, and uh, I could have said, get the hell out of my office, dude. What do you know? You know, uh, here I am. I was doing probably, I don't know, close to 70 or $100 million a year in sales. That ain't, that ain't nothing to be criticizing. <clears throat> and, um, but I didn't. I said, okay, man, you think you can make us better? Let's go. So I hired him and uh, hired his company, and they came in, and they gave a lot. I was never, I didn't, I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on, I don't even know if Instagram was around, but I wasn't on any of the social media platforms um, until Gary. And so Gary's like, dude, you got to be out there. You got to be putting it out. You got to be doing videos. You got to be doing this. So he goes, you got that. So Gary was the guy that got me onto that. And, and here, is the, here is the biggest challenge that happened because Verve just chugged along, chugged along, chugged along. Alex Morton came in, Brad O'Kazin brought him in, and they just led to this young people's revolution. I don't know who came up with the YPR name, but, dude, it just hit a chord with young people where they talked about student loan debt and they talked about being an entrepreneur and they talked about, you know, at the time, the millennials were having a super tough time with jobs, and and college graduates were, you know, you guys know the story, you guys told the story, and it hit a chord with young people, and we have a product that was good for young people, um, you know, it wasn't like we're selling Red Bull, you know, something that wasn't good. We're selling, selling something healthy. And that's why I wondered why the FTC didn't think, well, let's yeah, look Verve at what Bold they're doing. It was one of the greatest things. Verve Bold is. What do you mean it was? So Vima.com. You can still get your Verve Bold. Put a little ad in your little blog um, or podcast. Um, <laughs> so anyways, the part when the FTC on August 24th, the first thing it says, how many customers you have? Give us. They didn't say it to me, but the, to our data guys. And they wanted all the records. Now, like I said before, I think everybody's a customer, 100% customer, okay? But... When Vima got started, Facebook was just getting started. And what 
fascinated me about Facebook was the fact that it was this free site that you can, you know, basically tell your life story and there's no sign-up fee, there's no monthly fees. It was free. And so I thought, man, what if network marketing, what if you took network marketing and combined it with social media, the social selling concept? And so what I did is I said, hey, we're not going to punish a customer and charge them more than uh, an affiliate gets. And so we have the same price. So customers and affiliates pay the same price. I don't want to punish an affiliate for saying, for checking a box saying, hey, I want to promote this and hopefully I can make some money. So we didn't have any sign-up fee. And that's where I made my mistake is because it was just two boxes. You want to be a customer or you want to be an affiliate? And people said, hey, you know what? If I like the product, I, I, could, be, I could be an affiliate. I could talk it up. Um, but most didn't, you know, but they checked the box. So we had like 70% affiliates and 30% customers. I don't know what the exact numbers were, but something like that. So does the does the FTC have a clearly defined no, criteria? No, there's nothing. There's no where there's no like you have like with us now you have to have 51 percent customers. Before us, there was no criteria. It was like how many customers do you think is enough customers? Nobody knew. That's why even though we had 80 percent affiliates and 20 percent customers, they were all treated like customers. Everybody paid the same price. These people could just buy the product. These people could buy the product and promote it. But here's what is amazing. This is what we tried to get the FTC to listen to. This is what they wouldn't even allow us to present to the judge was the fact that the behavior tells a bigger story. And what happened was 78% of the people that bought our product never bought a builder pack. Seven, no, this is both customers and affiliates, okay? So they, whatever box they checked, let's just talk about what behavior they followed. 78% of them never bought a builder pack never um, earned a check, never signed anybody up, 78%. So in my eyes, those guys are just customers. They're, everybody's paying the same price. They're, but just, they're customers because they're... And then the FTC goes, well, maybe they're just bad affiliates. I go, they didn't sign anybody <laughs> up and they didn't ever earn a check and they didn't buy anything but product that they consumed. You know, They didn't buy like a builder pack worth of product. And so here, I was so frustrated because here is this critical component of... The case that says Vima is like the largest customer model in network marketing because 78% of our people are just customers. We just have different titles for them, and, and uh, they wouldn't let us do that. So at my, my, my downfall for, with Vima is my fault because I looked at Facebook and I thought, what a great concept. We're not breaking any laws. We're not breaking any rules. We're not hurting anybody. We're giving people like this modern version of network marketing that worked because Vima kicked in. You guys saw, you lived what Vima did. I mean, it took sales from 100 to 221, as the newspaper said. I mean, it was a rocket ship. And um, this is the amazing thing is like we spent so much money on branding. You know, the, the FTC argued to the judge. They said he doesn't care about products. And I'm like, seriously? Dude, I, I, Phoenix Sun spent like three million bucks, had the Verve Lounge, had a 26-foot high can strapped on the side of U.S. Airways Arena. We sponsored NASCAR races. We, we had all these, these product-only sponsorships that we did. Arizona Coyotes, we had Verve on the back in the, on the bench. Um, it was all of this money, millions of dollars spent on just building up the brand for customer awareness, customer credibility. And they said, I didn't care about product. My body, we were talking, Chris and I were talking about body build. That product cost me 700 grand to launch, 
700 grand to launch that product. Great protein product. But if I didn't care about product, why, do, why would I be spending 700 grand to launch a new product? Why would I just keep selling the original Verve? Why would I come out with other flavors of Verve? If I didn't care about products, why would I spend almost a million dollars on studies and clinical studies on what this product does? If I didn't care about products, but they didn't care about any of that. And that's what was really frustrating is because they didn't tell the judge, they did not paint us like they should have painted us. And they could have, if they would have just made one phone call or had, or called us up to Dallas to go to the FTC and had a meeting with them. But they said, oh, he's got all these offshore bank accounts. He's got all, he's going to funnel all his money over there. We had offshore bank accounts because we're doing business in 48 countries. If you have an office, home office in Colombia, you got a Colombian bank account. That doesn't make me a drug lord. It makes me a businessman. You know, you got them in uh, home offices in Mexico, home offices in Singapore, home offices in Taiwan, home offices in Malaysia, home offices in Europe, home offices in Australia. All of those home offices have inventory and employees. And guess what? They all got shut down because the FTC didn't even call me. They didn't even make a phone call. They didn't even say, hey, we want to ask you some questions about... They could freaking put me under oath and say, you know, but... It's shocking to me that the DSA, which is the Direct Selling Association, could have risen up and said, the way you're treating this company, and I, I've been a member of the DSA in my career for 22 years. Every year we pay dues, okay? So I got all these dues. And so they could have said, hey, we do not agree with the due process. It is innocent until proven guilty in this country. They called me guilty without me even saying a word, really? shut me down, didn't give, gave me a 3% chance of surviving and made me go through everything I went through. It made you guys go through everything that you guys went through because people went bankrupt, lives were destroyed, families were destroyed because incomes, $90 million, those were the victims. They couldn't find any victims with Vima in 14 months, but the victims were these $90 million that went out to families that worked their butts off to be able to generate an income to, by promoting products that are good for you. And if people don't like them, they get their money back. It's like, come on, man. This is still America. I love my country. The government in the Obama years, I have a challenge with. But that's, I got to tell you, when Donald Trump got elected, I cried. I didn't cry because he got elected. I cried because he got elected. I said, because this is going to be changed. And I know he's not perfect. I know it's controversial. Don't talk about Trump. You know what? He's a business guy. He makes some stupid decisions, but he makes some really great decisions. I make some stupid decisions, but I can make some really great decisions. But what I'm telling you is what we had before, I'm living for. You would think that an American government would celebrate a person like me that creates jobs, a couple hundred jobs here at the plant, a couple hundred jobs at home office, making products in Tempe, Arizona, shipping them into 48 countries around the world. You would think I'm doing my help, part to you know, offset the trade deficit. You would think that they would celebrate a guy like me, not treat him like a drug dealer, not even call him up and ask him a question about how he does business, if they've got a question. You know, they had 100. We didn't have any outstanding complaints at the Better Business Bureau because if people complain, we're going to make it better. That's just what we've done for 22 years. That's been our style. But this guy, you know, just, just, it was just, yeah, I got, I got screwed. But everybody gets screwed in life. Somebody always has something unfair happen to them. But what you need to understand is you got to take that and you got to make it fuel. 
And you got to say, you know what? I am going to create a better company. I'm going to create a bigger company. You know, God promises you seven times return what was stolen or two times return. I'm asking for 10 times. I want guys saying, God, you make a statement. I want the people around me to bring a big old bucket because the rain is coming. And those that's rain's blessings. And so I am just taking this three years uh, that that I had to go through and and investing it into you know the rest of my career and that's the legacy I'm going to leave. It really is a perfect script for a movie um, because not many people in the history of the United States of America can say they went through what you went through from going from that high to that low and then coming back out alive. You're the first company <laughs> in the history of the United States that has survived this level of TRO action, which is pretty incredible so it looks like leonardo dicaprio is gonna hey be wouldn't that be soon. cool i actually <laughs> met with a, actually met with an academy award winner bob proctor my good buddy bob uh introduced me to a guy phil uh phil goldfein um and i went and had a conversation with him and he's like i like this story and he goes now if we tell this story it's going to be there forever and I go, I want it to be there forever. I mean, I, it's nothing that I'm embarrassed about. It's something that I want to inspire people, something I want people to go, hey, I'm going through my challenge, and it's nothing close to what BK went through. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to pull this off. And so, um, but the first thing he says, write a book. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm probably three-quarters of the way through. I'm going to finish up. Octo, uh, uh, um, sorry, I, I want to have it maybe for January. I want to be able to have the book finished and out, and, and I will go into a lot more detail. I mean, things that'll shock you. I mean, it'll, it'll absolutely shock there, you. There's been so many times when I'm with friends and they said, man, I wish I could have a Verve. And they always wish they could go to a convenience store and buy one. Mm -hmm. Did you ever consider taking Verve retail? Well, here's the funny. Okay. Here's something that's funny that we did the hybrid marketing where, where, you know, our affiliates would go and, and be able to push Verve out at discounted levels to, so the, you know, uh, convenience stores would have their margins. But here's the funny thing is when we got shut down, okay, typically this is something we presented as evidence in our hearing and it's shocked. They'd never, the FTC had never seen anything like this before. Our products appeared on Amazon. Our products appeared on eBay. And when a company gets shut down, you would think that the company would, would have a fire sale be like 50% off, you know, they'd be like just selling the product 10 cents on the dollar. Our product was selling for two, three times that amount. A case of burn sold for a hundred, no, 500 bucks. I, I, I took a screenshot of it. We submitted this. The products were, be, and people were buying it. And, and so, you know, Verve was 150 bucks a case. People, and it was like that they had never seen anything like this before, where product was cut off, and instead of it going into the toilet and pricing and people wanting to liquidate, people jacking the price up like, you know, an artist just died and it's, it's painting, so you ain't going to get any more That's of it. That's the name of your book, The Last Verve. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was amazing. And, and, so, and then we also showed the judge all of the retail stores, the people that had it in retail stores, you know, and so so... You know, I think that's probably why he said, give this, give, give this guy's company back. And even though there was conditions on it, I, I don't care what the – if they wanted me to hop around on one leg, I would do it. And so, you know, you had mentioned the $238 million stipulated judgment. That came after 17 months of the lawsuit. So we got that uh, – September 18th, we got the hearing. We got the company back about a week later. Got back into business in October. Um, 
And for 17 months, we, the lawsuit continued. The FTC would be, you know, and so we're, you know, very fragile. I mean, as far as as far as finances go, uh, Peter Riley says to me, he goes, "Okay, you had two choices. Number one, you could sell everything you have, put the money into the company, keep your company alive, and and hope that you can stay alive and get a settlement, or you can let the company go out of business, and the FTC will make you sign whatever you wanted to sign. They wanted to ban me for life from the industry. That was their their goal." behind their action against me. And that was not, I, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the officer and the gentleman, you know, when, when he, uh, he's like, why don't you just leave? And he goes, I got no place else to go. <laughs> That's me, man. <laughs> I'm not going to be selling cars. I am not going to be, you know, it's like, I got no place. This is my, this is what I do. This is what I do. So I am, uh, I am said, it's a fight to the, so they told me that they're going to ban you from the industry. I go, this is a fight to the death. So when you're in a fight to the death, it makes the decision to sell everything that you have and put the money in. So I put about $8 million into, into Vima to keep it alive, to be able to get it to the point where we could get a settlement. And then the settlement, they said to me, because we have to disclose all of your financials. And that's when, you know, I remember what my attorney said, if you lie, it's criminal. Okay. If you lie to the FTC, if you lie to the FBI, if you lie to anybody in the feds, it's criminal. So obviously I didn't lie. And so they said to me, okay, we are gonna, we're going to take all of the sales over a three-year period of time that your affiliates bought, $238 million. And that will be the damages because a customer's bought a case of product for $60 and an affiliate bought a case of product for $60. The affiliate was damaged because he had the potential to earn money and he may not have earned money. So this is their logic, okay? So there's $238 million in a stipulated judgment. Stipulated judgment means... And so I'm sitting going, how in the world am I ever going to pay that? And they go, you don't have to pay it unless you lied on your financials. And I'm like, oh, well, then make it a half a billion. I literally said that to him. I go, make it a half a bill if you want. If I don't have to pay it, you know, if you guys want the headline, which is what their optics, if I heard the word optics one more time, they wanted the optics. And so their press release was Vima settles uh, $238 million fine. And I'm like, whatever, just let me go back to work, man. I just, the negativity of dealing 17 months with a, with a lawsuit against the, you know, and, go, and then people go, well, if you were innocent, why did you settle? Why didn't you just fight it all the way to the end? And I go, it's the United States of America, okay? They can print money. I don't, can't, I can't print money. You can't, that's how they would kill you. They would kill you through attrition because you, they would just keep going until you die. Did the DSA, did other companies, because this decision was so monumental to the entire industry, like you said, it was so unregulated, there was very few rules in print. Did mm-hmm. anyone from other companies support you? Yeah. And some, some were like awesome. I remember my one buddy that, that owns a company. He doesn't even want me to tell them. These people don't want to be shouted out or anything. But he calls me at my house, and, and I'm, I was sitting at my house watching TV with the kids. And he goes, hey, I hear you need some money for legal fees. I said, yeah. He goes, how about 500? Would 500 help? And I go, dude, 500, 1,000, whatever you can spare. And he goes, 500, you big dork. And I started crying. I'm going to sound like I'm like a baby on this, on this podcast. <laughs> the guy's always crying. Um, I started crying because, I mean, I got this guy. My competitor strokes me a check for a half a mil for legal fees. And uh, he goes, dude, you got to stay strong. You can't cry. You gotta, you're fighting for everybody. And I had other competitors that, that gave me uh, 100,000, 200,000, 250,000. Um, I mean, it was just, it was some 25,000, some 5,000 distributor, uh, you know, affiliates, you know, writing checks. And, and I, I'm just so thankful because I, and that was another lesson that I learned is I, 
was never in a position where I would ask for stuff. I would always be the guy that people would come up and ask. I'd be the guy that could fix things. I could make it better. That was like what I was used to. For me to have to ask, because our legal was like $2.8 million, and I didn't, you know, spend that much. That had to be some sort of twisted silver lining throughout that. It, it was, yeah, it was very, it was very humbling for me to have to ask. But then it was very rewarding for me to say, hey, there's some people out there that really like me. Um, and, and so it, it was just one of those, you know, one of those times in your life where you come to the realization that, that, you know, all the good you did out there, um, people noticed because sometimes it doesn't feel like people notice and, and, you know, God notices, God cares, people notice, people care. And, uh, and it was just nice that I went through this experience and, got to see that firsthand. I was like, it's a wonderful life. You know, Angel got its wings. And it was like, you know, I'm George Bailey. And it was the people coming to the rescue. And because I was destitute, man, it was like my DNO insurance. I had a $5 million directors and officers insurance. And the DNO insurance goes, you know, we're looking at your, your policy and we don't think federal charges um, are covered. And we're like, of course they're covered, you know. And so they go, but if, you know, we're not going to pay it and you're going to have to sue us, it's going to take two years to get the money. I need the money now. So they go, if you take 600 grand, we'll settle with you. And I took 600 grand, you know, I just had to, I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't last two years in a legal battle with an insurance company while I'm having a legal battle that I need the money for with the, with the feds. So it was just one of those things that they... So, I, I won't even, yeah. Anyway. And that brings us to today. Today. Three, three years. Praise God. Three years on the anniversary made of every, it. everything that went down. Looks like we made it. <laughs> Come on, let's sing. <laughs> Looks like we made it. That's enough of that. <laughs> but uh, so now it seems like you're, you're on your feet. You have, from, yeah. from what I see, you God have Body good. Pro. Um, would like to kind of just give it, give a quick background of what really Body Pro was, where it came from, and then also what's going to happen to Vima. What's your what's your plan with Vima moving forward? Um, I, I the Vima products will always be there. You know the opportunity is pretty banged up. You know Google's got a long memory, and when you Google Vima, you read FTC, and people re- people believe. You know, I don't want to use the term fake news, but seriously, it's like they believe the press release. The press release says Vima was fined two hundred thirty-eight million dollars. In reality, it wasn't fined a penny. I was fined personally, but Vima wasn't fi- found to be a pyramid. It wasn't fa- it wasn't fined any money, and it still operates today. Um, so, if you're ex- if you're a distributor in this industry and you're explaining, you're losing. All right, you know you need to be promoting. And so, I I, I just launched Body Pro in uh, Europe in seven countries in Europe and. One of the things we did is we brought the three top Vima products because the Europeans wanted the Vima products. So we said, hey, you know what? We're going to do the infrastructure for Body Pro. Let's just make Vima a brand, burn a brand, verve a brand, and sell them through Body Pro. So we have the Body Pro opportunity. So when you Google Body Pro, you're like, oh, this is great. Um, and you still have access to these great products that are massively consumable. And so we did that as a test in Europe. And it's working really well. So now we're going to be bringing that into America. So we'll have Vima customers right now. Nothing's going to change for them. But for Body Pro, we're going to bring the top three or four products, maybe Verve Bold, maybe top five products, into the Body Pro America opportunity so people can have those products to sell. But they'll come in as a brand. They won't come in as a company. Um, But people don't care. It's like semantics. 
And, and we're going to do the same thing in, in Taiwan. We're going to do the same thing in Body Pro Hong Kong. We're going to do the same thing in Body Pro Japan. So we've got this strategy to be able to get these formulas into people's hands all over the world again. Um, but it's just taken us three years to be able to get to the point where we're now getting enough traction. We're getting enough sales. We're, we're growing enough to, uh, to uh, really make a, make a big difference. And the, the end date of the book is still... I'd like to. I'm going to work on it a lot over the next couple months. Um, I'm going to. I mean, when I had this talk with this vendor that came in last week, it really opened my eyes to what I didn't see. And I'm gonna. I'm sitting there going, I need to talk to people that were there and experienced it and heard what they said and saw what they did, um, and add that dimension to it because I want this to be. I. I you know. I. I, I I, I want it to be an interesting read, but I want it to also be an informative read. I want it to be like a motivation. I want people to walk away going, hey, there are lessons that I have learned in this book that I wouldn't have learned anywhere else. That's what I want to give value in this, and I want to be able to tell the story. Because one day my kids will be reading this book, and I want them to, you know, it's a, it's a chapter in my history. And uh, it's been three brutal years. Six kids. Six kids between 11 and six years old, man. And uh, so I'm pretty much a full-time dad and, and full-time business guy. My, you know, my side hustle is Body Pro and Vima. So the last question for anybody that's out there that's thinking about maybe they're in a comfortable nine-to-five job, they're you know, doing something that they may, might not be their full passion, they're thinking about getting into entrepreneurship, they're thinking about taking that plunge. For anyone that's ready to do that, what would be your advice to someone that's right on the cusp of starting their own business or starting to just make a huge change in their life? You know, it's my, my dad used to say when I'd have, cause that, that can lead to some anxiety. You know, when you're thinking about that and you're going, Oh my gosh, should I do this? My dad used to say, you know, that feeling you're having right now. And I go, yeah. He goes, you know, that angst, that anxiety that, you know, you that feeling. I go, yeah. He goes, that's what it feels like to be on the verge of greatness. And I always remember that is that, you know, you can do a lot of good working for a job. I mean, I, I've been working since I was 14 years old. I, I paid my dues. I worked for advertising companies. I worked for restaurants. I was a, I was a chef. Um, I can still crack three eggs with one hand. Um, I can, you know, you, you go, you pay your dues and you take those experiences because you're going to get, exper- like I look at my experience with the Fortune 500 company selling advertising. I, I use that today. That stuff. So when you're in a job, don't think it's like a dead end job. Don't think there's anything you, you, you know, you, you, you may not be, you may not think you're in the, in the right place, but it, that may not be the challenge. It may be you're not looking at it the right way. And your perception of what am I getting? What is this? What am I getting out of this job? And understand that it's all temporary. You just put, you're putting your time in. And, you know, to become an entrepreneur, I mean, it takes a lot of guts. You got to have mental toughness. Um, start. Start on the side. Start off as a side hustle. You know, don't quit your job and go like I hear Gary V. God love him, man. But he's like, quit it. If you hate it, quit it. Quit it. And I'm like, dude, don't quit it then. Because there's enough pressure to be an entrepreneur on its own. You add money pressure on top of that. And here's the greatest thing about having a job is you're going to meet people you'd have never met before. And it's all about building a network. It's all about building your, your sphere of influence. It's all about building a reputation. Then you take those assets and you can, you know, parlay them into an entrepreneurial inve- uh, venture. But start part time. Start when, you know, don't put this immense amount of pressure on you. Don't, fl- 
a lot of, th- and I love Gary uh, a lot. I got his, I got his shoes. I got six pairs of his kids' clouds and dirt shoes for my kids. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of, of what he does, but I don't agree with everything he does. And the thing he says is, quit your job if you hate it. Um, in today's job marketplace, maybe you can do that to, to go, you know, find another job real fast. But you should be working. Uh, you know, my dad used to say, to get something done, you give it to a busy person. You can get a lot done. You don't have to devote 100% of your time to your entrepreneurial you know, adventure because there's not, you don't need 100% of your time to make it work. You know, uh, you got to be 100%, you got to believe 100% in your dream, but you don't have to put 100% of your time into it. And so stay at your job, do this as a side hustle. It gets better. It's like when I got back into network marketing uh, from advertising, I did it for six months part time. And then I went to quit, and the guy goes, you're going to be back begging for your job in six months? I go, no, Drew, you are wrong, Drew. He's still wrong. And can you imagine, here it is, 20 years later, I'm still hearing Drew's voice in my head, and he's wrong. Everyone needs a Drew. Everyone needs a Drew. That could be the title for your blog or podcast. Um, And so just be smart, man. And and your listeners are smart because they're listening to your podcast. Um, but you can make some amazing things happen. Just believe in yourself. Don't listen to the haters. Hear the haters, but don't listen to them. And because some think they're actually doing you a favor. Uh, let me let me let me steer this guy in the right direction. But sometimes the hate is is turns out to be the best thing that you could ever imagine in, to to your success because you take that and you funnel it towards your your success. You take that, that negative energy and you turn it into something positive. Well, BK, thank you for inviting us to your home. I appreciate your time. Come gonna, by anytime, guys. I'm going to take some product on my way out. Go so. ahead, man. Fill the truck up. <laughs> <laughs> and how can people follow you on, on Instagram? Uh, Instagram, BK Bareko, B-O-R-E-Y-K-O. Uh, same on Facebook. I think it's Benson Keith on Facebook. Because they I- accuse me of having a fake name or something. I'm like, it's my name, dude. It's BK. But uh, yeah, Benson Keith Bareko on Facebook. And there, there's this kid slide outside. 20-foot kid slide. Go for I, it. I think I'm about to take it Let's out. Let's go, man. Pool is awesome. Right. You got a playground behind there. It's a very kid-friendly zone. You can see that. All right. With that said, talk to you guys later. Thanks, Thanks. for coming on. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time.